what I did instead of following the election, I was make a cardboard cat fort and some pastries. Okay. Um, but by the time I went to bed, the first, let's say, 12 seats had been declared. And at that point, you knew that we were all doomed. Well, I knew we were all doomed when the election got called, right? That's what we've been saying well, since the start. See, here's the thing, because I believe more and more that particularly from my sphere, I have been too surrounded by, particularly on Twitter, people who share the same viewpoints as I did. So when I was seeing all this, like, okay, vote Labour, vote SNP, and very, oh, the Twitter, very yeah. little for vote Tory. Yeah. So that when the exit poll came out, I thought, oh man, that's terrible. I thought it was going to be way closer than that. No, no, no. Yeah, so Twitter is a different sphere entirely from reality. Yeah, I've, I've gathered It's this. really great if you want to take a brief break to free yourself from the shackles of right-wing news but it, it's not real so so that exit poll which came out at 10 just after the polls closed gave the tories a massive majority of over 100 in the end it was closer to 80 or 90 yeah uh, i get the exact figures for you once i've wakened up a bit more uh, exact numbers don't really matter when you're talking about more than a few well exactly it's not like it's four or five it's yeah, a if it was, healthy if majority it was, Less than 10, it would be like, oh, what's the exact number? Maybe some things will be risky. But no, nah, this this big of a majority, they do whatever they want right. for the next five years. Before we actually get into that, seeing as the intro is meant to be the light fun part. Oh, yeah, I made a cat for it, a cardboard. What? Hey! <laughs> uh, why? Because you've got lots of like cat things in your flat already. Well, yeah, but you can never have too many. And there were some cardboard boxes f- just sitting about for a few months. Um, and I just thought, I want to make a fort out of those. And I did. Okay, that sounds great. And then I made pastries, which is also a really good thing that everyone should do. What was in the pastries, though? That's the, that's the question. It was just like a cinnamony one, just a little swirls. Easy peasy, nothing complicated. And were those for the cat as well? Or? No, those are for me, and I've eaten five <laughs> since last night. I made uh, crepes as a pre-election snack oh yeah uh, and then i was like you know what? actually those are really good but i'm i'm still hungry so i went down to co-op and bought one of those like mini fry up breakfast things and just fried everything and it was super tasty but then it was one of those ones that after you finish it you, you think okay that was great but, but now i feel like i weigh about 20 stone with all the yeah. oil i've also consumed but it sounds like a good start to a day to me oh no no this wasn't the start this is half past nine at night oh <laughs> That's less good. Literally just before I went out to start the coverage. Yeah. Oh, I thought you started sooner than that. That is my bad. I thought you were I thought you were going from afternoon onwards. No, no, no. You were the night boy. No, no, no. No, because the the polls only close at 10, you can only start your coverage at 10. Oh, yeah, but you can like uh, s- speculate a wee bit, chat about the dogs no, at the at the polling stations can, and chat about Elmo being pushed into a wall. <laughs> Uh, broadcasters between the hours of 7am and 10pm on polling day uh, are prevented from saying anything. The only thing they can talk about is the fact that the polls are open. That's literally it. Wait, so how come they were telling me that there was loads of people there? And how come I found out that Elmo got pushed into a wall? Because that was it was after 10 o'clock. The only... I found out about Elmo in the early if hours got, of the if day. If he got pushed against the wall, that's fine. As long as it's not like Elmo says that immigrants are pushing him against the wall, which is a political thing. It was actually, it was Elmo, Elmo's being pushed into the wall by Corbyn's 
security team was what I heard in the afternoon. Okay, right. Well, regardless. But then again, election and broadcasting rules have been broken several times this, this time around. To and be nothing's fair, happened, so who cares? It, it's no, it's the only this is the one in which all broadcasters have to like they are they have to and they all did. They all did. The only thing is they can't just be like, okay, Boris Johnson is telling you to go out and vote. You, you can't yeah. do that. You just, Bar- Boris, you just have to say Boris wants you to vote. that the, elect, the, the polls are open. And then once 10-01 passes on the clock, yeah. you can say whatever you like again. People really thought turnout was high this year. Well, see, here's the other thing. Because in Glasgow, the SEC, there were seven seats being declared. Yeah. The turnout ranged from about 67 yeah. down to the lowest, I believe, was Glasgow Northeast, which is my constituency, 55. Oof. I'm thinking, 55%, that's just over half. What is everybody Good else math. doing? Uh, a, you're not like, you don't have to pay for anything. You don't even need your ID. You just turn up and, and it's say, not hey, even half. It's, I want to vote. It's not even half of everybody that's old enough. It's half of everybody that registered. Yeah, well, exactly. So it's half of the people who expressed an interest in, in So why is it 55%? That's terrible. Because the UK system disenfranchises people. People feel there is no point in voting if the party that they don't want to win is just going to win anyway. But that's that's not the point, though. Yeah, it's like we need some form of voter reform to try and make people feel like their vote matters a bit more or that's, something. That is true. In certain places in Scotland, it was about <laughs> 75 to 80, but that was that was the exception. There were some real high turnouts, to be fair. There were, like, yeah, I think people saw the real big turnouts here and there and thought that that was true across the nation throughout the day. And then it comes out at night and it's like, oh yeah, we forgot about checking in on the on the lazy places feel, they're just the same as I usual i feel our intro has bled into actual electoral discussion shall we play an intro at this point oh yeah no i made a cat for it a cardboard <laughs> Uh, Seesaw Parade episode 187. Uh, welcome, I am a bleary-eyed Colin, and uh, James James is also here. James. I exist. Yeah, and uh, we're just going to start by dismantling what's happened in this election, and then we'll return to other less important things. But let's start with uh, what happened last night. First of all, in Scotland. Oh, yeah. And that is the fact that the SNP won 48 out of 59 seats. It's 13 more, I believe, than they had in 2017. Uh, Nicola Sturgeon was very pleased uh, when I chatted to her last night, and she was saying that Boris Johnson has a mandate for Brexit in England, yeah. but she does not in Scotland, or he does not in Scotland. Yeah. The next stage, then, is when is she going to ask Parliament for an Article 30, which is the permission to have another referendum. Because, think, oh, no, go ahead. Because oh, Boris has long said he ain't going to give it to her. No. So, what's, no. so we're, we're just stuck between one place and another then? Well, no. So she'll ask as soon as they form officially form parliament or government. Uh, and then Boris will say no. And then we get even more support for independence north of the border. Because we've had our democratic rights yeah. removed from us. But then what? Then we keep asking, and he keeps saying no, and we keep getting more and more support as they keep shutting down our right to, to uh, vote for stuff. Either that, or he says no, and Scotland goes, oh yeah, 
we're just lap puppies of the English. Let's all just be happy and let them decide stuff for us. To be fair, I, I believe the results yesterday, particularly in Scotland, do show the growing political divide oh, yeah. in what voters want here and what voters want down in England. For sure it does. And especially considering, and this is against what I thought would be best for getting votes, the SNP ran with a independence referendum at the front of their manifesto, which is a risky thing if you want to get votes across the nation. But even though they did that, they got huge numbers of votes. A greater majority of the share of the voter share in Scotland than the Conservatives have across the UK. So they've got more of a mandate for whatever they want in Scotland than the Conservatives have in the UK-wide. Let's talk about Corbyn. He said that he did everything he could to get Labour into power and he is not walking away until another leader is elected. Uh, He also said the election, which uh, saw the Tories win plenty of the traditional Labour strongholds in the north of England, was taken over by Brexit. Yeah, some that have never been that have never been conservative since Labour came into existence. Yeah. So he so Corbyn believes that Brexit is what won it yeah. for the Tories. What do you think about that? And 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 his party's performance. Well, yeah, mostly I agree with him. I think that the majority of people's decision making was on the line of get Brexit done. The Conservatives got the slogan out and it worked real well. They They've fooled people into believing that voting conservative means that Brexit's going to be done within a year, when what they mean is that the process will have begun within a year, uh, and it will have begun very soon now that they have the majority. Um, because if you just look at the maps, it just makes sense. You look at the the referendum map, compare it to the election map, and all the seats that Labour were losing were places that voted. Well, not all, I don't think. Most of the seats that Labour were losing were places that voted um, to leave the EU. Yeah. So it just makes sense. People that are saying it's anything more than a Brexit vote uh, are technically telling the truth, but without the Brexit vote, it would have been far more different than anything else. So no Labour leader could have gotten a win here. Right. Well, well, here's here's the argument then, because former Labour politicians uh, and cabinet ministers are saying that Corbyn's unpopularity has had a part to play. For example, John Mann said yeah. his unpopularity on the doorsteps that he was speaking to was palpable yeah. and Mr. Corbyn should have gone already. And so is uh, Lord Blunkett. He said the same thing. Well, yeah. So if Corbyn and Labour were interested in getting the most votes nationally, he probably should have left a long time ago. But they were trying to play it out so that their party's democratic decisions are upheld. So he was chosen by his party twice he was so how do you just step down from that without feeling without making your party members feel like they don't matter well it's it's not so much that i i believe it's it's the fact that labor just simply don't have any other viable candidates i mean who who is there other than corbyn who really stands out and you say yes well, you know who who was there either right like when corbyn was chosen who was a viable candidate he only got through because nobody else was any good Everybody did the protest vote, like, you're also useless, I'm going to vote Corbyn, and then Corbyn became the leader. But I, I believe the the reason why the Labour votes collapsed in England, and the reason why the Tories have made so many gains is twofold. One of which is the fact that English people, and this is a massive generalisation, yeah, English sweeping. people do actually want Brexit to be done. Yeah, even people who voted no are now so fed up that they want Brexit to be done. And... and, and 
on top of that, I believe people would rather Boris Johnson did it than Jeremy Corbyn did it. Yeah. That's that's why I believe there are just two of the factors. No, so people are telling the truth. And as much as I've been trying to defend Corbyn for months and months and months because I'm tired of the media's play on him, uh, Corbyn's unpopularity, whether it was deserved or whether it was through sheer manipulation of the masses, is a big part of why they lost this year. But mm. even if he was hugely popular, they still would have lost. Even if the media didn't do the the digging and didn't do the smearing, they still would have lost. There isn't a Labour leader that can beat the Tories being the Brexit party. Because you can't get the votes by saying, yeah, we'll do Brexit harder. And you can't get the votes by saying, yeah, we won't do Brexit. Because the Tories have the strong ground. So the only way to have won would have been for all of the non-Tory parties to collaborate in the same way that the Brexit party bowed down and let the Tories walk all over them. But that didn't happen. Who knows why? Probably because they, they want elections to be treated like elections rather than a two-party system. Okay. Um, but there was no Labour leader that could have won this. And sadly, Jeremy Corbyn's got to go. Sadly, he probably should have gone a long time ago if what he cared about was Labour winning. But what he cares about instead is being a decent person and trying to get decent policies through with votes rather than manipulation. Let's uh, talk about the Lib Dems and Joe oh, yeah. Swinson, who started this campaign oh, no. by saying she could be the next prime minister. I am a candidate for prime minister. Now, uh, yeah, yeah. people losing their jobs is always bad. However... Joe Swinson has lost... Not always bad. Sometimes they're bad people. Yeah, so Joe Swinson lost her seat last night, uh, or in the early hours of this morning. And arguably is bad people, considering that she enabled austerity. <laughs> to, yeah, very true. To the SNP's Amy Callaghan, she lost by 149 votes. It's a close one. And she's now decided that she will step down as the Lib Dem leader, which I suppose you have to when you are no longer employed. Kind of makes sense. What, yeah. what went wrong for, for Joe Swinson? I've got my own theory, but I'll, I'll hear yours first. I think she was just terrible at answering questions, except for that one time she was good with Andrew Neil. In general, she was awful at defending her past voting record. She was awful at like rallying the people to her views because the Lib Dems didn't really have any views aside from, We're, we don't want to respect the Brexit referendum. Which is a hard view to make people believe. Even I don't believe that view. And I, I'm pretty happy. I would have been happy for Brexit to be cancelled, but I still don't agree that it should be cancelled just because the, the Lib Dems got voted. They didn't really have a foot to stand on to make people believe in them. I, yeah, I, I agree entirely with that. I also think the more that people saw of Joe Swinson and heard Joe Swinson, the more they disliked her. Yeah. Because. She, the things she said in principle and in print, you thought, okay, sounds like someone who's confident, sounds like someone who believes in themselves and their party. And then when you actually saw her under the scrutiny of the, the lights and people asking very fair questions about the Lib Dems track record, yeah. she was just unable to stand up to scrutiny. Yeah. And she would then come out with things which you're saying, what are you, what are you, why are you saying that? <laughs> and the more that that happened, the the less she was liked, and I believe that's played a massive part in the reason why she's lost her seat, and yeah. the fact that the Lib Dem share has effectively collapsed. Well, they've gained votes compared to the last time. So it's the share of the vote is up. Yeah, because they've technically 
rebooted a wee bit. They got rid of the party that was super involved in enabling austerity and all the bad stuff. And they've kind of done a soft reboot. They're like, hey, we regret our past a wee bit, but not a lot. We still believe that we're smarter than you. Um, and it hasn't quite worked. But people voted for them because of a few lies. They lied about how strong they were. Across loads of different seats, they were pretending that they were the only people that could keep conservatives out. Where in almost all of those seats, they are now the reason the conservatives have the seat. There's loads of contested seats. Not enough to get a Labour majority or anything, but there's loads of contested seats where if you look at the numbers of Conservative voters to the numbers of voters across Labour, Lib Dems and Greens, with just a little bit of cross-party communication, there could have been serious changes in those seats. But Can I just, just when you mentioned the Greens there, I yeah. just I have one question for you. There is one Green Party MP, that's Caroline Lucas. Right. She was re-elected to her seat at Brighton Pavilion right. with an even greater majority. It's one of the biggest in the entire country. Yeah. She got 33,000 votes compared to the next second, <laughs> well, to the second place candidate who was Labour with 13,000. Wow. So here's my question, James. One Green MP, one of the biggest majorities in the whole of the UK, why is there only one? Is that because they've taken her personally, her personal personality, I'm running out of words, or just is it just solely the people of Brighton Pavilion who say the Greens are good? Well, there's a lot of... Because that's, really, that's really interesting. There's a lot of people who vote Greens. They've, they're now the least represented party that has a seat, I believe. So it, their, their numbers are like, their one uh, MP is technically representing hundreds of thousands of voters. I think it's in the 200,000s. Well, millions, millions, maybe. Who knows? Um, well, I, I I wish I had the numbers in my head, but I don't. Um, but it's just the way that a system that isn't proportional works. You can be a, a, a relatively popular small party, uh, but big enough that you can take votes away from the second biggest party and make it impossible for them to challenge while also not getting any seats yourself, apart from in this one freak instance, where I assume she's just someone who is heavily involved in the community and heavily loved in the area and known and respected for the work she does. It's the only assumption I can make is that she is hyper active within her her constituency and has done a lot of good for them. Okay, la- lastly, James, we'll, we'll touch on Northern Ireland. Um, what's happened there? The DUP have lost seats. The DUP have, um, for the first time in a fair while, become a minority, technically. Yeah. Their view of right. the UK being so great and good is now not the majority representation and um, people who will be more keen to reunite the the island are now more represented. So we could see an Irish unification referendum, we could see a Scottish independence referendum, but we're not going to see an EU referendum again. Okay, let's... Let's move on. Let's actually talk about the Golden Globes before we uh, review what we've been watching. Uh, This is the first big awards ceremony of the season. And uh, the full list of nominees you can check out on Google. But let me pick some highlights for you. Right. So, first of all, James, best motion picture drama. Now, the biggest inclusion here, or one which raised a lot of eyebrows, is Joker. Joker is in there. Yeah. Uh, the Irishman, which I watched this week. I'll tell you about that shortly. All right. 1917, which is Sam Mendes' one-shot war movie, as in the whole film looks like it's been done in one take. Yeah. And uh, then a couple of Netflix ones, 
The Two Popes and Marriage Story. Now, Marriage Story is Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. It's picked up the most nominations out of every film in the Golden Globes. Right. Any any initial thoughts on that list? I mean, it's it's nice to see uh, the Joker there. Or just Joker there, I guess. <laughs> uh, I don't think it will win. But then again, like I could say the same about all of them. Because you got Netflix stuff and you got experimental one and you got comic book one. Yeah. So it's kinda hard it's kinda hard to say that any of them are guaranteed wins. It it doesn't feel like a safe bet to me for any of them. Because I've only seen two at this point in time. Nineteen seventeen's out next year. Yeah. The other two are coming to Netflix. Either they're already out or they're out very, very soon. Yeah. I'm really unable to pick, but I will tell you about the Irishman shortly. Here's here's my take. Joker to me is this year's Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh. In that it as a film, okay, well, first of all, the Joker is a immensely better film than Bohemian Rhapsody was. <laughs> I hated I don't know, I didn't hate it. I very much disliked Bohemian Rhapsody. He thought it was overrated. I liked Joker. I thought the performances in Joker were better. Right. That being said, it is it is up against some some stiff competition. In terms of best motion picture for musical or comedy, because of course the Golden Globes has two separate categories, you've got yeah. Knives Out, which is what I reviewed last week. Very, very good. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is Quentin Tarantino. Rocket Man, which is the biopic of Elton John, which came out earlier this year. Then two more, one of which is Jojo Rabbit, yeah. Taika Waititi's new film, which is out in January. And then Dolomite Is My Name, which is Eddie Murphy in a Netflix film. This is on my list of things to see because it, from what everyone's saying, it's Eddie Murphy's comeback. Oh. It's his his big performance, which is going to win him awards. And the fact that, he, that his film's been nominated for Best Picture yeah. in the Golden Globes says a lot. It's a pretty good sign in terms of comebacks, as if you start getting he, nominations. He's also he's also been nominated for Best Actor in a in a musical or comedy. So, all right, doing something right. Yes, yeah, something's going right. I, I do find the splitting of the films up a bit funny sometimes. It's like, it just seems a waste. And then it's the fact that you can self-declare which one you're in. Yeah, uh, and there's been a few unusual... The ways in which certain films have been categorized over the last few years have raised several eyebrows. Yeah, I think musical, uh, it's very easy to tell what's a musical. <laughs> um, but there's some of these that... Or some this year and forever that really don't feel like comedies or musicals. So who knows? But overall, the the, the Globes, they're, they're interesting, I would say. But I've never been expressly like, oh, wow, I'm amazed that something yeah. won one. Oh, oh, goodness. Can't believe it. Well done. There's just, just a few standout uh, picks i'd like to talk about daniel craig's been nominated for knives out all right um taron edgerton for rocket man he he was very very good yeah uh when it comes to the female side of things you have if we go to the best actress in a drama yeah scarlett johansson for marriage story uh shursa ronan for little women of course shursa's in there she always is always and uh, here's one which i expect will win the oscar and this might be news to you james oh. renee zellweger Oh, for Judy. Right. Now, even if you watch the trailer, this gives you an indication of how good she is in this. She's playing Judy Garland uh, towards the end of her career when she came to London to do one final hurrah right. whilst battling drug addictions and several husbands and estranged children. 
if you watch the trailer, it really does give you an indication of this performance. It does seem like it's been acclaimed by everybody. Mm. So I, I reckon she's going to win it. All right. I mean, it sounds like well earned if she does. So I'm fine. Okay, let's. Uh, now that my opinion matters so much. Let me tell you, I'd be fine with that. Let me tell you, James. Uh, before I ask you what you've been watching about the Irishman. Yeah. Now this is the new movie from Martin Scorsese. It's costing apparently two hundred million dollars to make. Netflix bought it because every other production house looked at it and said, "No way, two hundred million? Are you kidding?" It's also three and a half hours long. Yeah. It also has, uh, starring, I should say, is Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, and Joe Pesci, who Yay. is reunited in a gangster movie for the first time in, I reckon, 30 years. Longer than I remember. Just just to give you a summary, if you, if you, just if you're deciding if this film is for you, it is Robert De Niro's character who is essentially narrating his life and going back to important moments with his uh, relationship as a gangster for a Philly crime gang and his friendship with Jimmy Hoffa, who is apparently one of the most famous people in America in the 70s. Right. To do this, it uses face technology to de-age the actors. Not de-aging tech. De-aging tech. That's, That's the word I was looking for. Right here's the here's the thing. Let's talk about let's talk about the de aging first of all. Face tech. It in the opening couple of minutes when it's used, it is very noticeable. You're like, okay, that looks like it's from a cutscene of a video game. Yeah. That being said, you get used to it, and before long, you're not even thinking about it because you're so engaged in the story. Right. And some some of the de aging stuff is much better than others mainly when they're getting older themselves and there's you know less focus on the the de-aging tech and more on good makeup. I mean, yeah, you're never going to be able to make someone look convincingly young or convincingly far younger than they are um, with the current technology. So, But the biggest giveaway for me, and other critics have said this, it's the physical movement yeah. of De Niro, of Joe Pesci, uh, off Al Pacino too, actually. So they've, they're all being de-aged, but you can't de-age how fast somebody walks or how stiff somebody's arms yeah, are. Yeah. Considering all of these actors, uh, Joe Pesci may be in his 80s, but the other two are certainly in their 70s. Yeah. In one scene, Robert De Niro is beating up a shopkeeper. Oh. And when he's doing this, he's meant to be something like 40 years old, perhaps younger than that. <laughs> and it's the way he does it. It's It's like watching an old man beat up a shopkeeper because that's literally what's it's happening it's like watching Liam Neeson in an action film well exactly except add on an extra 10 years and so that <laughs> to me was the most jarring part when you realise I am just watching a 70 something year old De Niro with de-aging tech yeah. beat up somebody but that's that's where, the, that's where the, the main disconnect is for me just to sum up that makes a lot of sense right, yeah to sum up the actual film it is a phenomenal piece of work. It Okay, it's three and a half hours long. It did not feel like three and a half hours to me because I was caught up in the story. It is just fantastically well acted. Joe Pesci, for me, is, is he's just monumental. But all three of them are great, and the supporting cast are great too. It tells a, it tells a great story. How much of it is true, I am unsure, is based on true events but you know maybe like to take some artistic uh license with this 
But it is, it, you know, I really enjoyed it. I did. And as much as the de-aging tech is distracting at the start, it doesn't take away enough from what is a well-acted, well-told movie. So if you've got three and a half hours to, uh, to spare, then yeah, go for it. I probably will. I do have free time coming up. Honestly, they, honestly, I would just I put your like put your phone on silent or whatever, and just sit back and watch oh, it because yeah. I would love to. Again, I would love to hear what you think of it. It is getting harder and harder to actually successfully not check my phone. I'm, I I need to start getting a handle on that. <laughs> okay, James. Uh, before I tell you about Jumanji two, have you been watching anything? Uh, I've been plodding through a couple a couple animes. Unsurprisingly, I, uh, I, I can't believe it. And the happiest news that the world will have heard for dozens of centuries, uh, my living room is now unoccupied, so I can hey. recommence all my all my favorite living room TV shows that I refuse to watch on a computer screen uh, for no good reason. Um, and I have continued, as I have said for the past few weeks, catching up to present day Critical Role. I've, I'm, I'm one episode behind real life, and it feels great. It's just That's good. it's just so good. Like genuinely. People people telling stories is my favorite. So I saw Jumanji 2 this week, which is called Jumanji the Next Level. Did you ever see the first one, James? Uh yeah. You did? Yeah. Okay. The first one I really liked, and it was a surprise because I didn't expect it to be very good. I don't think anybody expected it to be good. Yeah. And actually it was very funny and it was very well done. Yeah. And it made nearly a billion. Yeah. So They've, they've come back, obviously because it made so much money, they've come back, but they've added... you got to do it again. ...Danny DeVito mm-hmm. and Danny Glover into the mix. And they've kept the elements which made the first one so good... Right, right. ...and chucked in a couple of more impressions. So just <laughs> to explain what happened, there's a mix-up with Jumanji this time. <gasps> the game is busted. No, no. And so Danny DeVito ends up... Who's the grandfather in real life? Yeah. ...ends up being played... By The Rock. Yeah. So it's The Rock doing an impression of Danny DeVito. Yeah. And Danny Glover ends up as Kevin Hart. Yeah. And Kevin Hart, whose usual delivery is 100 miles an hour and, you know, loud and high-pitched, suddenly becomes this slow southern drawl. Yeah. And it is very funny. It's... The thing is, if you're there to disengage your brain and have a good time, it does that. Good. It is not as good as the first one. That being yeah. said, it's still very good value. It's entertaining. There's a couple of jokes which don't really work. The Hound from Game of Thrones is the bad guy. Oh. So that was cool. And that's about it. <laughs> it was it was fun. Nice to see actors just chilling out. Karen Gillan, local gal from Inverness, is smashing it in this series. And she apparently is leading up a new uh, female assassin franchise. So that'll be fun because she's great. And yeah, it's it's fine. It's fine for what it is. Maybe a bit long, but I enjoyed it. Uh, but also, they should stop. There, there's a tease at the very end. Oh no! For like another one. I'm like, oh guys, oh come on! It, like the I, yeah. I understand going back for a second time. A third one, you're really stretching it. But at this a third point. one is just exactly what they're going to do. They keep going until something's oh, not will, successful yeah. anymore. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, wish- this, this one will make a lot of money, and so they'll go back and they'll do it yeah. again. Uh, I want I want places to experiment more with with sequels and stuff. It would be interesting if they could just like try to carry on the popularity of a franchise while also changing the theme a bit more or changing the genre a bit more, um, rather than just every film being the same as its predecessors, and then 
having the same conclusion and continuing from the same point that the last one um, started out. And it's all cyclical. Sucks. So I want the next one to come out to be an actual horror film. <laughs> like, uh, just people actually actually dying in grotesque ways. Yeah. But then it turns out that if you die in the game, you don't die in real life. That was all a lie. And then they die in real life too. <laughs> okay. Uh, James, let's talk about a couple of trailers. Uh, first of all, <laughs> right. Ghostbusters. Yeah. Afterlife. Yeah. Yay. The new Ghostbusters film. The first one that's come out in years. Decades. So this is... The third film, really, in the franchise... Fourth film in the franchise? It's another franchise which is still making films because it knows it can make money. It's the third in the official storyline. The other one is an alternate reality. Yeah, right. James, let's uh, listen to the trailer, then we'll talk about it. My mom won't say it, but we're completely broke. And the only thing that's left in our name is this creepy old farmhouse our grandfather left us in the middle of nowhere. Why'd you bring me up here? Entertainment value. <laughs> what is that? I don't know. Okay, James, first of all, let me just say, this to me looks like Ghostbusters is trying to be Stranger Things. I mean, it is. This is Ghostbusters trying to be Stranger Things. Okay. They've, they've gone 80s. They've gone child actors being heroes. They've gone uh, nerdy, nerdy dad-esque-esque character um, they, they, they're hitting quite a lot of the tropes that have made Stranger Things successful and granted nerdy dad-esque character has a bigger play to part part to play in this one lol uh, <laughs> play to part play, he's got a bigger play to part in this one than nerdy dad characters <laughs> ever did in Stranger Things but that's their thing Paul Rudd's also super super popular right now so they're taking two popular things one of them which is a series and one of which is an actor and mashing them together um, with a beloved franchise to create a somewhat darker looking Ghostbusty uh, thing. Because the last Ghostbusters film was a goof, was just a big goof, all of it. Yeah, so, so here, here's the difference for me, is that, okay, the original Ghostbusters is an iconic film, it was funny, and it told a good story. Mm-hmm. The female reboot was essentially a comedy, or it was trying to be a comedy. Yeah. I here, Look, I liked it. I didn't really have affinity with the original, so I was fine with it. This one, though, again, has totally changed the tone. It doesn't help that they've got Finn Wolfhart, who is literally from Stranger Things, yeah. in one of the main roles in another alien sci-fi thing. Paul Rudd, okay, sure, he's going to have some funny lines in there, but is it going to be the laugh-out-loud attempt at a comedy that the last one was? No. No. So, are they trying to make it semi-serious this time? Yeah. But that's not really what Ghostbusters is. Yeah, but that's what we want. We want diff- we want each like story, universe, cinematic experience to be calling back to things we like. Right. So that we get all them good brain feels, but also being interesting and new so we get all the other good brain feels. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Let's talk about one more trailer, Yay. James. This is Free Guy. Oh, man. Starring Ryan Reynolds. I had such high hopes for this film. Okay, wait. Here's a trailer. Hey, bud. You ever think that there's got to be more? More than what? The stuff we do day after day. Being shot at? Run over? Taken hostage? Everybody down on the ground! Today's going to be different. Hi. Oh. 
God, this isn't you. You don't do this, man. Maybe I do. Okay, James, the, the cast for this, even in, in the trailer, looks like good fun. It looks Taika like Waititi's in there. It looks and of like course, fun. Ryan Reynolds just being himself. Yeah. This is, for those of you who are yet to check it out, Ryan Reynolds, who seemingly is in a world which is also a video game. No, so he is a video game character. Oh, there we go. So Ryan Reynolds is an NPC, an, a non-player character in a video game um, who goes through an awakening. Oh. When we heard about... I know, exactly. The trailer doesn't even show you that. When we heard about the film originally about Ryan Reynolds playing an NPC in a game universe, I was super excited because yep. I thought, hey, this feels a bit like The Truman Show meets like GTA, and that could be really fun to watch. But they've removed all of the interesting like psychological stuff. He doesn't have this slow realization of like, wait, my life's a boring loop. Wait, everything always goes the same way. Wait, how does this work? And instead it's just like, oh look, I found the, the superpower goggles. I'm, I got guns now. And that's it. He just finds the goggles and has got guns now. Well, that no, that's that's the tr- how the trailer's showing it. It might be different in the film. I, I, like, I really hope it is. I really hope that this, this trailer is basically the last 10 minutes of the film. <laughs> but I doubt it. It just looks like they're putting Reynolds in a goofy in- environment to let him goof about and have fun, and it's going to make a fortune. Y- yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll disagree on make a fortune, because I'm unsure, because this just doesn't have the same appeal as, say, Deadpool or Pikachu. That being said, it is Ryan Reynolds, and he is very funny. Yeah. I thought the trailer was okay. Yeah. I, I expected it to be much better I didn't, than it was. There was nothing revolutionary or interesting in this trailer. And it's when you realise that a trailer has a, is that a gun in your pocket joke? I'm like, really? Yeah. Except I mean, it was a real clever play on it, because he was like, no, it's two guns. Well, <laughs> and like, there, there's nothing you can say in, in response to that question which makes it any funnier or any better. No, it's, it's not, not a funny, funny joke already. And then there's no response to it that makes it a funny, a funny play. No, no. I was, I was, I'd say I was disappointed with this. I'm sure it'll be fine, but is it going to revolutionise the filmmaking industry? <laughs> Absolutely not. I, I hope it's very different to what the trailer looks like. That's that's all I can say. Okay, because I had high hopes. Uh, James, we are very quickly running out of time. Let me just talk through a couple of pieces of movie news. Starting with, actually, let's go back to James Bond. Izzy got in touch and said, "I massively disagree with all the negatives about the Bond trailer you discussed. I loved it, although I'm slightly worried that they might kill off Q, since the white mask of the bad guy is behind the same glass <gasps> as the door when he opens it." Oh. James, is Q dead? Uh, that would be. A brave decision, but one I approve of. So yes, spoiler alert. If I'm correct, <laughs> okay. Uh, but, you know, like disagreement is completely what we want. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm tired of of just saying what I believe and then believing that I'm right because nobody disagreed with me. Well, I mean, sometimes we disagree, but not not very often. Not as often as perhaps the listeners might we like. We are an echo chamber. <laughs> well, to be fair, you like Corbin more than I do, so there's that too. Yeah, I like him more than most of the world does because I like people who like poor people. Uh, back to movie news. The uh, release dates for Matrix 4 and John Wick 4 have come out this week. Yeah. And both of them are on the same day. Yeah, which same day. Is, Not uh, even just same weekend, same day. Yeah, but so Keanu Reeves, of course, is coming back for Matrix 4 several decades after the last one, mm-hmm. whereas John Wick 4 has really been his uh, his part of his renaissance 
as an actor. Mm-hmm. I don't understand, and James, perhaps you might be able to have a better idea here. I don't understand why you would put these two massive films essentially competing against each other in what is... Uh, it's a very similar market. It's not like they're releasing Frozen and some sort of rated R Deadpool at the same time where you've got two very different audiences. This is basically the same audience. This is this is John Wick and superpower John Wick. Yeah, so 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 why release them on the same day? Is it the same studio? I don't think so. I don't think so. Maybe there's just a lack of communication and they both they both had their Rele- their release dates of release dates scheduled at the same time and it was all a big accident. So, um, or maybe I, there is collaboration and they're going to try and sell double billing. So you watch one and then the other back to back and you pay good money to do so because they've seen how successful Keanu Khan is and they believe in spending lots of our hours in a row watching Keanu. But to me, you're taking away some of the draw of the other film by putting on your one at the same time. Yeah. The, the two of them will not make as much money because... Yeah. They're in competition with I each other. I fully expect one of them to be pushed back. I expect The Matrix is going to push back its release date by, a, by a, if it is not internal delays, by at least a couple of weeks. But also I expect it to be pushed back by at least a half a year in real life. And, and also, because this is the big Matrix comeback, why have it overshadowed by a franchise which has been consistently good and consistently recent? And consistently growing as well. They're trying to. They're placing a bet on on the the fourth film being smaller than the other ones when they have increasingly been getting a bigger audience. It's a very strange decision, but I don't think it will stand. Okay, well that we we will find out in uh, in due course, uh, James. As we say, we're running out of time. Let's just talk uh, some other news. I'm going to start with Russia because it's the story I know the most about. Right. This is the news that WADA, the anti-doping agency, have banned. Russian athletes for competing in sport for the next four years. This is after uh, Euro 2020, so sadly Scotland um, cannot get in through the back door. Yeah. Uh, so there are, this includes things like the Olympics, uh, European Championships, World Championships, Paralympics. The issue I have with this, James, uh-huh. is after the initial reports which was uh, headed up by Jonathan Taylor, who was the head of the Compliance Committee. He said that Russia were going to face the toughest possible sanctions. Right. Um, it turned out that some of the crucial uh, lab data had been uh, tampered with. Ooh. And, you know, the message was clear. Russia was at serious risk of a complete ban. Right. And yet here we are, despite the data having been found to be outrageously manipulated... And the outright ban, which was threatened, and uh, what most of the community had demanded, it's been shelved. And instead, all you've got is a qualified four-year punishment. Because, And I say qualified because it means that, in a caveat, athletes who can prove that they're clean can still compete, even if they're Russian, under a neutral banner. Many will do so. And for example, in Pyeongchang at the Winter Olympics most recently... 168 Russians ended up taking part. Yeah. That is not banning Russia from a competition. Well, yeah. 168 of them. But it is... 17 won medals. But it also is because it's banning Russia from getting the credit and then giving the credit to the individuals who can prove that they've actually just tried hard rather than cheated. Right, no, so, so here's the thing. S- many of these Russians who are, as you say, proving they're clean, I'm saying proving with inverted commas. Yeah. Because... The system in Russia, by all accounts, if you read this report, is corrupt from top to bottom. Right. So how an athlete 
in amongst all that is meant to prove they're clean. How do you prove you're clean like that with you know total transparency? I mean, surely, that's, the, that's the part I struggle surely with. Surely it's like independent verification. I don't know what the system is, but surely they have to go and get tested for different things independently. Um, well, now, I guess that might not be able to prove that you never were given a boost, let's say, in your childhood to encourage growth, i.e. the American water and food industry. All of, all of uh, the testing is done, or the majority in competition is done independently, and Russia were still finding ways to cheat the system in the right. same way that the Tour de France winners, yeah. Lance Armstrong, yeah. was able to cheat the system despite the fact it was being independently verified. Yeah, so it's kind of hard to ban the whole nation without saying, hey, the doors are open if you want to do our tests. Because if you just ban the nation and say our tests aren't good enough to, to, to let you test, then what's the point in having the tests, right? What's the point in pretending that anyone should be getting tested independently if you can't say, hey, nation, you can get tested independently? Okay. So they, they have to say you're banned as a nation, but they can't say, and you're not allowed to be tested because our tests aren't good enough because then all the individual tests are a waste of time. All, the, all of them. So I don't see any bigger ban that can really happen. Okay, James, uh, we are quickly running out of time. Let's talk about Trump. Yay! Uh, tell me what has been happening this week in regards to impeachment. In regards to impeachment, the Democrats have confirmed there are two separate articles of impeachment that they are going for, which is abuse of power uh, and obstruction of Congress. Um, so we kind of knew impeachment was going to happen for a while now. What, what has changed is we now know which two avenues of impeachment are being taken forwards. And they're both pretty easy to prove. But the Republicans are still going to say that it's not real. Again, as we talked about last week, I believe this is more just about the fact that Trump will become the third president to become impeached. Yeah. And it will never, in the same way that Clinton was impeached and he was fine. I mean, obviously his mm -hmm. reputation was tarnished. Mm -hmm. He was still impeached. Yeah. So it is, it's going gonna, it's gonna to wreck his reputation but not really, because people don't care about that stuff anymore, apparently. Right, James, uh, time is running out. Let's uh, briefly talk about India. James, what's been happening over there that's uh, really failed to make headlines in the Western media? So India introduced a bill, which is now, I believe, passed, um, which was supposed to be regarding citizenship for people seeking refuge. So refugees and um, asylum seekers would be basically uh, have a much easier path towards being granted citizenship um the problem like and that sounds great sounds like a great bill why would you protest the bill that is um letting people get into your country if they need to be there for for reasons of like war or risk of death or risk of being abused or whatever however the bill also made it um a blanket not ban but blanket unacceptable um religions like i think they said that no muslims are covered by this at all and so people are protesting that the fact that it's removing an entire religion from um, being considered f um, for citizenship as a refugee um, but it also has made it really hard for people uh, who were born after i think it's 1971 who were born after then within india to prove that they're citizens so a whole generation and more of people are having to go and try to prove to the government that they are citizens of the place that they were born in, which is probably worth protesting, let's be honest. 
But the protests haven't worked, and it's now law, so it's going to get challenged in the Supreme Courts and stuff. But- okay, that that that's true. Let me just say, I'm unsure how much influence, say, Western nations have in what happens in India, or if they really care. For example, do the British government really care what's happening there the right UK now? The UK only care about India being able to trade with, with the UK. The, the UK cares as far as, do we still are we still able to get money from them? Okay, then it's all right. So, so long as they're, they're still able to, to have a global effect in the market, the UK won't care. Um, it's a shame that all we care about is other nations' money rather than the rights of their citizens and that we refuse uh, to encourage countries to respect them more, but that's the way it is. Okay, James, final story from us because we are way over time. We are. Uh, it's been revealed this week that the Catholic Church is using around 10% of its donations given by Catholics all over the world to fight its deficits. Wait, James. Wait, is that backwards? What do you mean? Hold on. What did you say? 10% of its donations are going to fight its deficit as opposed to helping poor people or the church. Well, no. So here's... You got you got this backwards, Colin. It's worse. Oh, really? As little as 10% of the donations that the Roman Catholics are giving in aid oh, of poverty are actually making it to those people. Oh, that's so much worse than I said. So it's not just 10% of all donations. It's... Only 10% of donations that are given specifically for helping poor people are being used to help poor people. And all of the rest of it is being used to um, cover the budget That's terrible. It's awful. Right, well, here's here's my question. Isn't the free church doing the same thing? uh, I, I don't know what the churches over here are doing. Like, so... Do we have different pledges and drives that are being that are in post being uh, redistributed? So I'm I'm pretty sure most places I I don't know though I, I'd assume that in the UK there is protections against this. So if you went out to say, "Hey, we're charity raising money for poor people. Give us money to help the poor." Uh, there's some protections, but then again, there's a whole lot of charities that do that and also don't give any money to the poor. So I don't know. I don't know if it's if it's a problem in the churches here, but the fact that it's a problem in a, such a wealthy and huge and vast um, organization is, is disgusting. It is. Okay, James, time is well and truly up. Thank you again for your contributions. How do people get in touch? If you want to get in touch with us, please, first thing to consider is tweeting us because it's short and sweet. Um, and you won't need to exhaust your your fingers. Uh, just let us know stuff on Twitter at Seesaw Parade, or you can at Colin. He's Colin underscore Stone underscore. <laughs> That's the one. And then there's me, F- Fair Jame. I always get your underscores wrong and can't say them correctly. Uh, if you want to give us an essay to read and respond to, please email it to us at seesawparade at gmail.com. And if you want to show Colin what you're eating for your breakfast, Snapchat him at Seesaw okay, Parade. Okay, James, right, that's enough. To, enough from all of us. Uh, I'm going to say goodbye. I'm off to Newcastle and then I'm off to New York. So I will speak to you next Friday in person. My voice is going for a live episode of Seesaw Parade as we talk about the new Star Wars. Star Wars Christmas special. That'll be fun. Yay. I will see you in person next mm-hmm. Friday. Hope everyone's doing okay today and in general. Be good. Goodbye. Bye, Colin. Bye, listeners. And bye, Corbin. Oh, that was sad.